If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. Mobius despised the Ancient Ones. His hatred for the vampires of Nosgoth knew no end, and in his centuries of life, he never wavered in his ambition to see them wiped out, even if it meant serving their former god. The Elder God demanded that the Wheel of Fate be fed with the souls of Nosgoth's inhabitants, and the vampires were unable to do that after the Hilden cast that terrible blood curse upon them. Mobius was cut down by Cain after he turned all of Nosgoth against what few vampires remained, but he knew that this was not his true end. In the loving embrace of the Elder God, Mobius would find life restored. It would just take some time until his next part to play. In the meantime, Cain came to power. He denied the pillars their final sacrifice, refused to cleanse them and restart the cycle. Nosgoth became sick and weak, and with the Hilden repelled for the time being, there was no one and nothing to oppose Cain's desires. Cain raided the old tombs of the ancient Seraphim champions that once led the crusades against the old vampires of Nosgoth. He needed champions to aid him in reshaping the world, and he knew just the place to find them. Cain resurrected the Seraphim leaders Terrell, Duma, Rahab, Zephan, Melchiah, and Raziel. For so long, the warriors had been dead that when they awoke to unlife, they had no memory of who they once were. They had no idea the one they now served was their greatest enemy in life. Each of Cain's lieutenants sired new vampire clans and claimed parts of Nosgoth for themselves. The time of humanity was ending. Now, they would be cattle to the returning vampires. Great factories were built to pump smoke into the sky so that the sun would be darkened and vampires could freely walk the lands. And for a thousand years, Cain himself evolved and became stronger. Then the vampire leaders and their clans would follow. No one was more powerful than Cain. No one evolved before him. He was the eldest and the most powerful. But a blasphemy occurred when one of his lieutenants, his firstborn, so to speak, the one called Raziel, evolved first. He sprouted wings, and though he still swore obedience to Cain, this was unacceptable. He silently seethed at this outrage when he saw it, for Cain was a jealous god. He tore the bones from Raziel's wings out, leaving him with broken flaps dangling from his back. And then Cain and his other lieutenants dragged Raziel to their execution grounds, the Lake of the Dead. Water was like acid to vampires, and Raziel would be submerged in it. To die as a traitor and a weakling for daring to assault Cain's ego. Callously casting aside 1,000 years of service, Cain demanded he be thrown into the lake to tumble and drown until oblivion claimed him. Raziel's vampiric carapace was singed from his body as he fell into the abyss. So great and consuming was the pain that time ceased. All Raziel could feel was that torment and hatred. For 500 years, Raziel twisted in the lake on the brink of madness, that is, until he landed on the lake bed. When he rose from the bottom of that terrible lake, Raziel's vampiric body was destroyed, but still yet he lived. He defied death. To live as neither human nor vampire, he was something else entirely, more like a demon than anything else. The Elder God is the one who has seen him brought to this existence, or so it claims. Cain has stopped the Wheel of Fate from functioning. Those that remain on Nosgoth are outside its cycle, thus denying the Elder God its sustenance and meaning. It's as jealous a god as Cain turned out to be, so now there is a conflict brewing that cannot be ignored. The Elder God's play against Cain will be turning this Wraith Raziel against him. Raziel departs with vengeance in his heart and an order from the Elder God to kill his former brethren and then Cain. 
But he's so weak, and no longer does Raziel thirst for blood. No, now he hungers for souls. Those now will sustain him and empower him in this hunt. To aid him in crossing the wide lands of Nazgoth, gates will act as transports to get him nearby where he must go. And special portals will help him transition between the spirit plane and the physical world. Because he is so weak and young in this form, he still has many weaknesses that his vampiric form once held, like aversion to sunlight and water. He can easily lose his physical form if he falls harmed, but the Elder God will ensure his return should something befall him. His first venture will be to the stronghold they once operated out of, nearby his execution grounds. He finds the spawn of his former brethren are sickly and malformed. In the five centuries since his death, the world has changed dramatically in the most terrible ways. Yet, despite these changes, it's not impossible to recognize where he was thrown to his death so long ago. Putting aside those memories, Raziel decides he first wants to go see his own clan to the west, to see how they have fared in his absence. It's a short detour and perfectly within his right to do so. But at his old home, he finds that his clan has been completely wiped out by forces of his brethren. As soon as he was gone, the other vampires preyed upon Raziel's clan, and he feels this quite deeply. He was not an uncaring leader, not an uncaring being. The hatred for Cain and his lieutenants has no end, and he has more than himself to avenge now. And seeing what's become of the common vampire is really quite startling. They're more like starving animals than dignified beings of power. The first of his former brethren that he finds is Malkiah, and the sight of him is horrific. The past five centuries were not kind to the former Seraphim leader. He's a crawling mound of flesh and muscle that can barely speak. But he still calls Cain the master, and he warns Raziel that Nazgoth will not be a welcoming place to him, which is sort of stating the obvious. But he also discloses that everyone in this world lives in fear. The world is one of unsettling change, and even he is frightened. He finds himself to be repulsive. He knows what he is now, and he knows that he must face off against Raziel. Melchiah is not challenging in this form, but Raziel is not the powerhouse that he once was. They have a strange fight of sorts, like two weaklings having a slap fight. If Cain were here to see this, he would make a mockery of them both. Melchiah can briefly shift between solid objects, so he's not completely at Raziel's sordid mercy, but he does get caught in a cage, weakened and unable to escape it. Raziel asks him where Cain is, but not even Melchiah knows that. Cain only appears when he wishes to, no one knows where he is. And then finally, Melchiah has his finality crushed and cut into a pulp but no tears will be shed for him. Raziel takes his phase-shifting abilities on as his own, and he moves on to find and deal with the rest of his former comrades. Raziel's road takes him to the broken pillars of Nazgoth, hidden away from the world within the Sanctuary of Clans. And there, Cain is waiting. Melchiah said that he'd appear when he wanted to appear, and so here he is. Not at all surprised to see Raziel, and a squabble quickly picks up between the two. Raziel is rightfully outraged at what has taken place in his absence at the genocide against his clan, yet Cain continues to deny responsibility for anything other than his own well-being. The whole affair is a chance for him to be holier-than-thou about his selfishness, and Raziel is having nothing of his conceit. He says that he would choose integrity over self-preservation if in Cain's shoes, and the two start throwing hands. What Cain is envisioning in all of this is wildly unclear, yet he seems to know precisely what's to come. It's a frustrating situation that he would be so confident in all of this chaos, and so certain that the broken world he's built is the right way forward. Raziel is clearly no match for Cain, who has centuries of life over the fledgling wraith. Furthermore, Cain has the Reaver, except something most intriguing happens. 
Kane fully intends to cut Raziel down, but the Reaver was destroyed upon striking him. Yet a further intrigue, Kane knew this would happen. He remarks that they are a step closer to their destinies and he leaves Raziel in peace. In the spirit realm, Raziel sees the Reaver, or at least the released form of it, no longer held within its prison in the Metal of the Blade. It has abandoned Kane to come here, waiting for Raziel. And when he touches it, the Reaver binds its very being to Raziel, making the two as one. Together, they are the Soul Reaver, a Wraithblade, and now it's unfound. In the silence that ensues, another presence makes itself known, Ariel. She was once the Guardian of Balance, before Cain was meant to succeed her. Her death long ago at the hands of Mortanius drove her beloved Nupraptor insane and poisoned all the other Guardians of the Pillars of Nazgoth. She was denied oblivion because of Cain, forced to carry on here bound to the pillars all alone for hundreds of years. She too has grown a seething hatred for Cain and his abandonment of duty. She tells Raziel a bit of her past, of Cain's betrayals, and when she's certain Raziel is no friend of Cain's, she offers to act as a guide, should he have need of it. The first place that she points him towards is to the east, where she says a stifled titan stands in mute surrender, unwilling host to a parasitic swarm. Zephon's Domain, once a safe haven cathedral that humanity used to defy Cain. It could blast out a melody that would repel the dark creatures that were taking over Nazgoth, but long since have those people died. It's overrun with Zephon's arachnoid-like creations now, a disgusting testament to the bravery of the past. It is a long trek to reach the heart of the Domain, but Ariel's warning to Raziel about Zephon makes perfect sense once he sees him. Zephon is massive and disgusting what Raziel calls an appropriate reflection of his soul. The two have no kind words for one another. Zephan wishes to preserve himself, to carry on this way, unlike Melkiah, who longed for freedom from his existence. Raziel is stronger now, and he carries the Soul Reaver with him. Setting fire to the fetid carcass of his once comrade is a simple task. Zephan burns to death in his hovel, with no one to remember or mourn him. From his body, Raziel takes power, the ability to scale walls in the physical world. Very good. There are still yet a few more of his former brethren that he needs to see too. Going back to the pillars to convene with Ariel for a moment, she delivers a foreboding bit of foresight to him. Beyond the pillars, the defiled victim mutely screams its outrage. The truth of that statement is realized when Raziel finds the ancient tomb of the Seraphim. With the support of and at the behest of the old guardians of the pillars, the Seraphim hunted the elder-aged vampires. Countless centuries ago, the ancient ones were more like humans than monsters, but the genocide brought against them by the Seraphim started a slow, horrific, rage-filled change in what few vampires remained. It was Vorador that stopped the Seraphim ultimately, but after that he retreated from the world of the living entirely. Raziel knows the tales, and he has disdain for that bloodshed. But he doesn't piece it together, at least not yet. The Elder God warns him that what lies ahead is truth, and that it might destroy him should he linger. In the tomb, Raziel finds his own crypt and those of his former comrades. He realizes that he was once of the Seraphim, a champion of them in fact. He was part of those terrible hunts that killed so many, he just couldn't remember it. And he realizes that Cain's choice to resurrect the former Seraphim leaders was a form of vengeance against them for the things that they did in life. Raziel cannot claim the moral high ground on anything, least of all against Cain. It's a sharp realization, but Raziel doesn't waver from his mission. His life as a Seraphim was ages ago and it's no longer part of him, though he does still wish to cling to bits of that humanity that he once had. He will continue hunting and cutting down Cain and his ilk. The next of the old lieutenants is Rahab, 
whose brood overcame their aversions to water and fully withdrew from the surface world. A misstep in their home would land Raziel in a world of pain. He knows well just how badly water can hurt. He finds Rahab himself deep within the lair, having turned into a strange fish-like creature that makes him hard to recognize, but the sentries haven't been kind to either of them. Kane had told him that Raziel would be arriving, and he doesn't care about the raid's motivations. Rahab doesn't care about the life he once lived as a Seraphan, doesn't care about Kane's blasphemy in raising them, doesn't care about how the world has changed. He is completely loyal to Kane. He believes that Kane saved them from themselves, and he willingly fights against Raziel. It's not a long fight, as Rahab is devastatingly weak to sunlight and has chosen to home himself in a room covered in windows. Exposing him to rays of light cuts him down into nothing, and from him, Raziel takes invulnerability to water. Now he too can swim through the waters of Nazgoth without melting away. Now to find the final of the remaining lieutenants, Dumas. Dumas's domain is quite similar to what Raziel found in his once home. It's desolate and quiet, devoid of life and activity. It makes him wonder if Cain didn't call his clan as well. But the Elder God tells him that it was Dumas himself that did this. His arrogance led to the death of his own clan. For when human survivors descended upon their home, they believed themselves to be invincible. They raised no resistance and in their hubris, they were wiped out. Any of Dumas' clan that remains alive does so as scavengers. Dumas himself is a pathetic sight. He was once a mighty warrior long ago, but now he's chained to his throne, pierced through with stakes. This would have been a dreadful shame to Dumas to be seen like this. At first, he seems to be dead, but removing the stakes from his body restores Dumas to life. He thanks Raziel, but there's no fondness here. It was Dumas that threw him into the Lake of the Dead long ago, and Raziel wants his head on a platter for it. Dumas believes that not even Cain could strike him down. It's the same arrogance that got his clan wiped out. In the centuries that he has spent confined, he may have honed his strength, but he hasn't wrangled in his ego. Admittedly, taking Dumas on in pure combat would be unwise. He hits like a semi-truck and can withstand almost any damage that Raziel can dish out. But his arrogance will once again be his undoing. Dumas chases Raziel around without a second thought to it, and he falls into a trap. Raziel cooks Dumas, sending a geyser of flame to consume him, and from his body, he takes his soul and the ability to harness spectral energy that can bind enemies and move the immovable. Now, only Cain remains. The Elder God tells him that Cain is to the north, within Nazgoth's frozen wastes, waiting for him. The last time they'd met was a confusing affair, but this time must be different. Cain has so much to answer for, and Raziel now possesses powers to bring him onto equal footing with the old vampire. It's a long, difficult trek to reach the frozen north, as though every corridor is meant to test his strength. During his journey, Raziel finds the Oracle's cave, where Cain once met a disguised Mobius. It was their first meeting and a fateful one. Mobius set Cain down a treacherous path, fooling him into murdering William the Just and turning all of Nazgoth against the vampires once again. Mobius has been gone for about 1,500 years now, yet his actions still reverberate through the land. Raziel knows that the guardian of the Pillar of Time was a dangerous and highly manipulative figure. It's fitting that Cain would be hiding someplace here, in these ruins that were so profound in his early life. Beneath the cave is a complex system of grand tunnels, full of puzzles and frustration. A good reflection on the type of person that Mobius was. Within the bowels of the mountain, Raziel comes across the old gates of Mobius, which were glimpses into the currents of time. Within one, he sees when he awoke at the bottom of the Lake of the Dead, as a newborn wraith racked in pain and confusion. 
In another, he sees when Kane struck him with the reaver, destroying the blade and freeing what was within, a moment that Kane seemed to know would happen as well. In the next, he sees his moment of realization within the tomb of the Seraphan, when he understands who he once was and why Kane chose to raise him and his brethren. At another gate, he sees himself standing against Kane with the Soul Reaver, as though ready to engage in combat with him. But where and when he does this, he doesn't know. That his life has been so out of his control, that his destiny was predetermined like this. That he has little say in what's happened and what's going to happen is a terrible revelation to him. What of his free will? Can he not choose his own fate? Could he possibly change what's to come? Was Cain being forced to play a part in all of this as well? At the final gate, he sees himself alone with the Reaver, strange powers surging from it. And he decides that all of this is just a ploy by Cain to fool him into something. They're all lies, and he won't fall for it. Raziel finds Cain within the Chronoplast, a massive structure created by Mobius that acted as a gigantic time-streaming device. Cain seems to have been making use of it, traveling to other times to make observations to further his own mysterious agenda. He greets his former lieutenant with snide mockery towards the murder of his brethren, and Raziel returns his remarks with some sass of his own. Cain sees all that has occurred as necessary sacrifices that are not worth mourning. They are as gods, and all those that fell in their wake were just collateral damage. They're rationalizations for his actions, and Raziel sees right through it. Yet, there's still the unknown of why Cain did all this. Why ruin and destroy Nazgoth? Why abandon and destroy the clans? Why not just leave well enough alone and let life continue? His motivations thus far seem to be, because I can. Which doesn't really fit someone as self-centered as Cain. What's the benefit to it? Raziel now believes that the Seraphim were right to crusade against the vampires, if this was the future that their kind so desired. If Cain is the prime example of it, then unlife is a curse and a blasphemy. When he finally asks Cain what his endgame is, that's when Cain finally strikes out. The two of them fight about the chronoplast with little abandon, but Cain is a bit distracted. He keeps moving to mechanisms within the room and activating something, then moving to different tiers as though to lure Raziel about the room. One after the next, mechanisms are turned on, and when the final one is flipped, Kane speaks once again. This is not the end for them, for either of them. What fate has in store has not yet been revealed, and Raziel's journey must continue. Kane plunges into a time gate. The Elder God warns Raziel that where he goes will be beyond his influence, and without hesitation, Raziel follows Kane. On the other side from the darkness, the old fiend Mobius makes his presence known. It has been 20 years since Cain murdered William the Just. It is 30 years before Cain is turned into a vampire by Mortanius. Oh gosh, let that sink in for a beat. Mobius, still very much alive, has pulled Raziel out of the time current, 30 years before Cain dooms Nosgoth by refusing to sacrifice himself to cleanse the final pillar. That's right, baby, it's time for some time travel. My favorite storytelling trope. So at this point in time, a full-on crusade against the remaining vampires of Nazgoth is well underway. Remember, when Cain went back in time and killed the beloved ruler of the land, William the Just, the people were riled up by Mobius into a new crusade against the vampires. This is the time in between the events of William the Just's murder and the uprising of Cain. Mobius immediately assumes the role of the doddering, innocent sorcerer who just wants to help Raziel stop Cain, and he is frustratingly good at it. 
This man does not break character for anything. Raziel knows well the deeds of Mobius, and he isn't fooled by it. But like a narcissist caught in a lie, Mobius just doubles down. When his staff disables the Soul Reaver from harming him, he acts surprised, as though he doesn't really know fully what that weapon was. But he does disclose his mastery over time oversight. When Raziel threatens to kill him, he very sternly tells him that that honor falls to Cain. Fate has determined their actions, even those of Raziel, and he cannot change that. Mobius tells Raziel that he knew him in life when he was of the Seraphan, and this could possibly pass as the truth. Mobius is very old, and he survived the slaughter that Vordor brought upon the old guardians and the Seraphan long ago. Mobius could very well have known Raziel in life. He acts as though seeing Raziel like this is pure grief upon him, as though to elicit sympathy from him. Within Mobius' sanctum are depictions of Vorador and the slaughter of the Seraphim, with, of course, words of woe from Mobius himself as to how tragic the whole affair was. Raziel is hesitant to believe anything that comes out of Mobius' mouth, and Mobius treats this lack of trust as an opportunity to blame Cain for it. It's such slander, and they have a common enemy that makes them allies. Come on, guy! Well, it doesn't work. But Mobius shows him the outside world, and this is the first time that Raziel sees it while the pillars were intact. He gets to see what the world could be, what it would be without Cain, and that's more eye-opening than anything Mobius could spew. Still, the old man asks him to embrace what humanity was still within him and reclaim his Seraphim heritage, go to Cain, and kill him. Mobius sends him on his way to fight and kill his own way out of the stronghold. With no way out at this point in time, Raziel has no choice but to seek Cain out. Still without his blade because of Mobius, Raziel uses crude human weapons to slice his way through the stronghold and finds the outside world to be green and beautiful. The monuments around the compound return bits of his history to him and deepen the resentment that he holds towards Cain, but it's also motivation to succeed in his task. As he proceeds and slays, he feels the Reaver slowly returning to him. That Mobius was able to banish it from him with his strange scepter is certainly concerning. It must have been a terrifying weapon against the old vampires. Within a tomb, he finds the resting place of William the Just, and upon his tomb is this era's Reaver. It was the same weapon that William the Just received from Mobius just before his death, the weapon that he used to try to defend himself against Cain, the other half of the paradox that now lays broken. The second Reaver, the one that Cain used to kill him, was broken and the soul that was within merged into Raziel. And in the presence of this other Reaver, what was within Raziel begins to frenzy and demands to be united with the physical blade upon William the Just's tomb. The soul of Raziel's Reaver embraces its physical twin, the two uniting to form a more powerful self. And in its demand to be made whole, the conjoined Reaver begins to drain Raziel of life. The sword does not wish for Raziel to be killed, for it's a symbiotic weapon that needs him alive, but it drained every bit of life from him that it could without destroying him. Once freed from it, Raziel understood that his relationship with this thing had changed. He still didn't yet understand the soul within it, and now it was parasitic, reliant, embedded into him, and they would struggle for control against one another. This was a great power, yes, but it was also terrifying. And who should be there in this grand moment of horror than Mobius, the great schemer of all things? Raziel knew him to be playing a part. Mobius had something to do with this, yet the old man denied responsibility, instead shifting it to Cain, 
who was of course responsible for everything happening. After all, Mobius just wants to help and guide Raziel, while Kane is laughing at their struggling. But Raziel doesn't buy it. He once again threatens Mobius, who then shifts strategies, begging for mercy and understanding, expressing an apparent deep fear of the Blade and Raziel, then disclosing that he is an agent of the Elder God, the same Elder God that helped Raziel find Kane. They're allies, you see? The man never breaks character. Raziel at least believes that Mobius fears him, and maybe he actually does deep down. But it's enough to stay his hand for now, and the two end there far too drawn out back and forth. Raziel discards the blade that once held the other Reaver and leaves Mobius in peace, who continues to yell about killing Kane and on and on and on. Next up, Pillars of Nosgoth. Walking amongst the lush beauty of this world instills a longing in Raziel. The time he left was the corpse of Nosgoth, but this is life. It's a world that Kane sacrificed in order to save himself, and it's disgusting that such a crime could be committed. Yet also, as he goes, the corpses of vampires that the humans have hunted and killed are being hung up as macabre trophies for all to see. It, too, was a disgust and criminal. Yet who was the greater villain when comparing the entirety of the Seraphan and humans to the singular Kane? An awe comes of Araziel when he sees the pillars of Nazgoth, unbroken and pristine. Yet that beautiful sight is stained by the presence of Cain. He does indeed stand waiting for Raziel just as Mobius said he would. What becomes apparent when he begins to speak is that Cain and Mobius are both going to play word games to pit Raziel against the other. They talk circles about each other without even being in the same room, and it is truly exhausting. Raziel must have the patience of a saint to put up with it. So it's perfectly predictable as to what he's going to say. Mobius is your enemy. I have other plans in motion to change our destinies, but I'm not going to tell you what. But he does have an interesting tale to tell. For in this exact moment that these two are speaking, the guardian of balance, Ariel, is being murdered by Mortanius. And Cain is being born. But then something else. They see the corruption of the pillars happen right before their eyes. When Cain drew his first breath, Nupraptor found Ariel's body and the madness began. That madness also infected him, which meant that yes, he was meant to replace Ariel, but because he was corrupted in the moment of his birth, he would be incapable of doing it. He literally could not be the guardian of balance, even if he wanted to. It was a lose-lose situation, no matter what he did, and that he chose to save his own life really was just luck of the draw. Sacrificing himself wouldn't have done anything. Nosgoth was still doomed regardless. He just got lucky. His own selfishness saved him, and he benefited from it all. Kane fully realizes that his venture to murder all the other Guardians so long ago was for nothing. He realizes that he is a righteously selfish bastard, but he's tired of everyone's moral posturing. Everyone is self-serving, even Raziel, especially Mobius. Everyone trying to take the high ground is just exhausting. And as he says, there's no shame in what they're doing. Revenge is motivation enough. At least, it's honest. Hate him, but do it honestly. So, what are they to do now? Let the pillars rot, or find another way? Even if Cain dies now, and a new guardian is born, he is the last of the vampires in this age. And it's the vampires of Nosgoth that are meant to keep the pillars. Humanity will eventually see them destroyed. Lose, lose, lose situation. The vampires must live on. The pillars must be cleansed and restored. Also, 
But how? Kane hints at a third option, a secret, a monumental one that is right in front of him. But it's up to Raziel to discover what that is, and then he's gone, just like that. That Kane was telling the truth, that there could be a way to save this beautiful world and the vampires of old, it was too much for Raziel to discard. He had to take this lead and see it through, despite his desire to choke the life out of Kane. As he ventured on looking for who knows what, he got the feeling that he was being watched. That someone of power was aware of him and it made him kind of uncomfortable. Beyond the pillars was a massive door, sealed with an image that bore his semblance and a keyhole with the depiction of the Reaver upon it. This door was for him. It opened when he placed his weapon into it. This was his first step into uncovering the great secret of this world that Kane had hinted at. Beyond its dangerous halls, Raziel finds the original building room of the Pillars, a place that the outside world hadn't touched for thousands of years, not meant to be walked by humans. The Ancient Ones, vampires of old, that built the Pillars of Nazgoth began their work here. Histories of those days were drawn upon the walls, depicting the vampire killed in war that tore the lands apart. The images of those ancient ones looked so much like him, yet they were beautiful and angelic. He himself was morbid and ugly. When the war ended and the Hilden cast the blood curse upon them, these beautiful beings were brought low in their horror and shame. It's just as much a part of his heritage as his life as a seraphim, and Raziel is finding there's more to himself than he originally thought. Humanity and vampirism coexisting. And too nearby is the Elder God. In the depths of the nearby pool it rests. The Elder God was once the Almighty to the Ancient Ones, before they gained immortality from their curse and were cast out of the Wheel of Fate. The Elder God tells Raziel that all those events were just lies, but Raziel is about as thrilled to see the Elder God as he was to see Mobius. He's not keen on working with the Eldritch thing anymore and is starting to see that the Elder God might not be as omnipotent as it would have others believe. It claims to be the center of this world, but is that really true? Or is it just a parasite feeding off of it? And Raziel feels the same way about their relationship. He doesn't need it, but it seems to need him. Much like Mobius, the Elder God starts trying to manipulate Raziel, tries to tell him that Cain is their enemy, that Cain must die, but between this thing, Mobius, and Cain himself, Raziel's irritation with their demands and games has become great enough that he will openly defy them all. Enough so that he calls the Elder God a giant squid. Bam, 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 shots fired, bitch. I like saucy Raziel. Well, long story short, Raziel tells the Elder God to go shove a tentacle in one of its own flesh sockets. He's gonna go live his own best life and pursue the truth. Leaving those ancient grounds takes Raziel back to the outside world, to a swamp. And who should be lurking around but one very old, very powerful fiend, Vorador. That famed weaponsmith of centuries past, the creator of the original Reaver Blade, the one who single-handedly tore apart six of the nine old guardians and the Seraphim, the killer of Raziel in life. What high drama, I wonder if they'll be friends now. He doesn't stick around, he'd rather just keep an eye on Raziel for a bit, which is fair enough. No one really tells Vorador what to do or where to go, so it's best to just move on from it and find a way to reach where he was hanging out. Deeper into the swamp, Raziel finds ruins that bear symbols similar to the chamber beneath the pillars, where he recently spoke with the Elder God. This is a place dedicated to old vampiric affairs, more specifically, the Reaver. Only its wielder can open it, and it makes sense as to why. No one else would have business here. 
Inside, beyond a great many foe and obstacle, is a forge, and the reaver attached to Raziel drinks deeply from it. Even in this twin form, it can ascend by absorbing elemental powers, and each time it finds a new source to drink from, Raziel becomes a bystander with no control over what the blade does. With these varying imbuements, he will also gain access to ancient doors, held shut until its conditions are met. On his way out, Raziel finds Vordor, hanging out very relaxed, completely unconcerned with the dangers of the temple. He has been watching Raziel since he came out of the Seraphine stronghold, and Vordor knows that the pillars have been corrupted. He finds it quite strange that Raziel appeared shortly before that happened, but he asks Raziel if he's the catalyst of it or the answer to it. Vordor's blatant honesty is refreshing. He very openly questions what the hell Raziel is, what he thinks he's doing, and casts suspicion upon his attentions. After all, he crawled out of the cesspit that was Mobius's home, and his appearance is mighty strange. But Raziel is unwilling to cooperate with his questioning. After all, Vordor is a bit of a blind spot for him. But the elder vampire doesn't take it too personal. He is very disconnected from the world, and for over a decade, his kind has been hunted down like prey. So what does he care if their beautiful world falls apart? He has so much contempt for the world that he even calls his own heritage fairy tales of an ancient culture clinging to hope. And while Raziel appears to be the champion of the ancient ones that was once foretold of, it uh, doesn't matter. He's just too late. But he does offer some guidance to Raziel, the name Janos Audrin. He's been dead for about 500 years at this point, but he's the only person that could answer Raziel's unspoken questions. He doesn't know how Raziel got here, especially without Janos's guidance, how he's here without the Reaver's physical blade, how in league with Mobius he is. But in Vordor's mind, none of it matters. It's all interesting, and Raziel can do as he pleases, but none of it matters. And then, he's gone. Raziel fully recognizes that Vordor was the most honest person that he's met so far, and decides to follow his guidance. He will pursue finding Janos Audrin somehow, he walked the currents of time before, so why not again? And he'll use Mobius's time-streaming device to do it, which means getting back to the Seraphine stronghold, not something easily done. Getting out was hard enough. Going back takes him through the underground chamber where the pillars were created, and oh boy is the Elder God really unhappy about everything. According to it, everything else is full of bullshit, and Raziel needs to listen to them. They're like a broken record player at this point, stuck repeating the worst part of a mediocre song. No wonder Raziel gives him talkback and taunts. It's probably the most fun he's had in about 1,500 years. Thankfully, he doesn't stay too long to converse with the squid guy. The Seraphim Hold isn't far off, but he can't quite get in, nor does he have the means to unlock any of the doors. But there is an ancient door on the nearby cliffside that he can access, another forge. Past its many dangers, the Reaver usurps the power of light, pulsating about the temple. He recognizes the colors of the blade and knows that he can unlock a way back into the Seraphine stronghold with it. Returning to the surface and finally getting back in feels like a bit of a backtrack, but the journey out was necessary to meet Vorador and to gain empowerments. The whole affair was just a bit drawn out. At the heart of the stronghold where William the Just is entombed, Cain waits. Cain has seen something. He saw it during Raziel's 500-year death in that lake. He saw it in the chronoplast. He knows of something that may happen, yet it all hinges upon Raziel's actions in this moment, which Cain calls a tragedy. They're not here because they're making history, they're here because they're compelled to be here. There is no free will between them, so what does Cain fear from this? Well, it's William. 
William was meant to become the nemesis. It was foretold of, and Cain saw it happen in his life, yet for as unbending as time is, he forced a change in killing William when he was young. Cain did defy fate. He rewrote the path forward when two reavers existed at the same time. Two reavers in the same place, just like what's within Raziel now. The twin souls of the blade parasitically embedded into him. What happened to William and Cain was masterminded by Mobius. Raziel being here now was almost certainly also masterminded by Mobius. They're both pawns in some game to remake all of the world. Cain knows that he cannot change the past again. The Reaver is no longer his, and he was playing into Mobius's plans. Cain is a prisoner. He always has been. Prisoner to the flow of time and the predeterminations that he saw in the Chronoplast. But Raziel, what if he wasn't? Cain foresaw in the Chronoplast that Raziel was to kill him here if fate was not defied. Within Raziel now are two Reavers existing in the same time and place, so can he not defy the flow of time? Can he not change history as Cain did? When Raziel hesitates, holding the physical blade of the Reaver, it begins to surge with the power of the twin souls and it begins to push towards Cain. History is trying to remain on its rails and to keep on track, Cain has to die here. Just questioning if the vampire should die is enough for history to begin to pull at them. Cain does not fight back. He tells them that if he wishes to defy his destiny, to choose his own path, to truly have free will, he has to leave Cain alive. It's the only crossroad that he can choose from, and he chooses free will. Raziel plunges the blade into the tomb of William the Just, defying fate, changing the flow of history, leaving Cain alive. But oh my friend, remember, history abhors a paradox. Given the choice, whether to rule a corrupt and failing empire, or to challenge the fates for another throw, a better throw against one's destiny. What was a king to do? 